0: Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we tackle the biggest stories with our Locked On Podcast Network hosts. And today, we'll touch base with Alex Wolf of Locked On Knicks, discussing Julius Randle and Tom Thibodeau's Coach of the Year candidacy, then we go cross-country to check in with Locked On Warriors host Wes Goldberg to break down the Warriors clinching the eighth seed in the play-in tournament and their playoff chances. Lastly, we're going to speak with Charles Mockler of Locked On Clippers as Kawhi, PG, and company are headed for a rematch against the Dallas Mavericks. It's all coming up shortly. The biggest stories with the local experts here on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast What is up, and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked on NBA. As you can probably tell by the distinct lack of an amazing Aussie accent, I am not Josh Lloyd. Josh needed a pinch hitter today, so you've got me, Jackson Gatlin, host of the Locked on Rockets podcast right here on the Locked on Podcast Network. Quick reminder that the NBA playoffs are almost here, so don't miss out on the big storylines and team previews you can find every day on the Locked on NBA podcast. Follow the Locked on NBA podcast on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go now to the Big Apple in New York City to chat with one half of the Locked on Knicks podcast, Alex Wolf. Alex, the Knicks are one of the NBA's biggest surprises in Tom Thibodeau's first season after having really, you know, very few playoff expectations maybe outside of the organization, but they've just clinched home court advantage. Is this where you thought this team would be five months ago? No, are you kidding me?
1: Not even close. Uh... I think most people, you know, I mean, the Vegas over under was what, like 23 and a half wins or something. And I don't think anybody was by and large in the Knicks fan base was more pessimistic than that. Like, I think most people were saying, look, like, let's be real here. Like a Tibbs coach team is not going to do any worse than probably like 27, 28 wins. You know, he's going to, he's going to do enough to get them into somewhat respectability again, but nobody, I mean, there's not a single person that you could find that would be like, oh yeah, I I think they're going to finish 10 games over 500 and, and be the number four seed and be as good as they've been this year. Not a single person thought that was going to happen. Um, I think the most optimistic that I was seeing from some people was, I think they could be the eight seed, you know, and be in the upper echelon of the play-in crew. Uh, and that's about it. So yeah, it's, I, it's been a joy. It's been so much fun. So much of it obviously has to do with Julius Randall becoming. Increasingly what I think should be a, first team all NBA I mean if you look at some of the company that he's holding with the numbers that he put up this year where you're talking about his season averages this year have only been matched by like Oscar Robertson Larry Bird uh, LeBron, I think. Yeah, uh,
0: Randall, he he, beca- he became uh, just the sixth player to average 24 points, 10 boards, and six assists uh, alongside the, some of the names you're mentioning. Big O, Wilt, uh, Larry Bird, uh, Westbrook, and Jokic. So that's some pretty go. elite company.
1: Yeah, so I, I think that, that justifies a uh, first-team All-NBA nod at this point, or at least the second team. I think he's earned his way to at least that point at this point. Um, and, he, you know, the growth from R.J. Barrett as a shooter, nobody saw coming of him becoming basically a 40% three point shooter. If you, if you factor out his extremely cold stretch at the beginning of the season, he's been shooting the lights out ever since then. Um, you know, Burks and, and Bullock both being such knockdown shooters quickly being such a big surprise. I mean, so many things had to happen for the Knicks to end up as good as they are. But, you know, also I think, I think the fact that Randall and Barrett were such iron men was really a, a big thing for this team too on top of the fact that they did really good. I mean, I don't know if this was just luck or if it was a, you know, an organization wide thing, but they did great with COVID management this year. They only had two players have to sit out uh, with COVID or I'm sorry, three players have to sit out the whole year with COVID protocol. Uh, Frank Nolikina, Derek Rose and Alec Burks. I think Frank's was just precautionary too. Um, And he wasn't really in the rotation at the time Rose and, and Burks from what I understand did actually test positive. So, but, yeah, really, really great year all around. Nobody could have predicted this, though. Not in a million years would anybody have, have thought they were going to do this well this year.
0: So Thibodeau's, you know, trademark, hard-nosed defensive style has followed him everywhere he's gone. And, and this season, it's earned the Knicks the fourth-best NBA defense, just allowing 107.8 points per 100 possessions. What's it kind of been like to see these players buy into this system and then subsequently see the results of their efforts?
1: I mean, it's kind of crazy when you consider that some of these guys were on the team last year under Fisdale that couldn't guard their way out of a paper bag. Um, and then, you know, under Mike Miller, I think we saw some some incremental improvements with that. And then obviously with Tibbs this year, it was just a, a complete reimagining of the whole thing. And it's been great to see the Knicks sort of, you know, establish an identity as a great defensive team again. I know, you know, I'm like slightly too young for this uh, which is wild considering like I'm 31 years old I shouldn't be too young to have remembered like the last great year of Knicks basketball but you know the 90s Knicks that so many fans call back to all the time were all about that hard-nosed defense and being one of the top defensive teams in the league and you know back then obviously it was a little different with the scoring and stuff but you know they they might you know only let up like, you know, 75 points and score 77 or whatever back then. And the modern day equivalent of that is the Knicks this year, where they had so many games finish under a hundred points. And, you know, the Knicks had their own offensive struggles from time to time, but you always knew you could count on the defense. And it's really nice, you know, for a team that for so long, it what's, I guess the ironic part about it is for years now, every off season, every training camp, we hear, you know, every new, the revolving door of new signees for the Knicks would say, oh, this is the year. We're going to bring that dog mentality back. We're going to bring the 90s Knicks back. We're going to, you know, defend our asses off. And we're going to, you know, do all this and that. And then it would never happen. And this year, the team mostly shut up in the, in the preseason stuff. Granted, we didn't have the big, robust media days and all that. So maybe the message was a little more controlled than in previous years. But we didn't get so much of that, you know, oh, we're going to, you know, we have great expectations for ourselves. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to be the best defensive team in the league. They kind of just showed up and did their job. And the the work that Tibbs did on setting up a system where they, you know, basically it was prevent everything at the rim as much as possible. And I, I, I would have to do some sort of data deep dive or someone is going to have to at some point. But basically the reason that they were so good from three-point defense, you know, there was a lot of, stats people looking at the numbers early on the season and saying, oh, they're giving up tons of wide open three-pointers. This is going to regress at some point. And it just never did. And I think it's because the Knicks had really robust scouting reports on who to leave open and who not to leave open. Because, you know, this is purely anecdotal, you know, just from eye tests for me, but it, it seemed like most of the year they they kind of targeted certain guys and said, leave that guy open from three. Like he can shoot all day if he wants because we know that he's a, you know, 30% shooter, even on catch and shoot or whatever. And, you know, it worked out for them a lot. There was a lot of bricked open looks that would then, you know, turn into Knicks possessions going the other way. So I I think there was a lot that went into it. Tibbs clearly, you know, was not just married to like ice and all that, that everybody said that he was with his Minnesota tenure, why that didn't work out well. He clearly is adjusted to the modern NBA and it's, it's led some really beautiful defense for the Knicks this year.
0: In all likelihood, Thibodeau will at least be a finalist for the NBA's Coach of the Year Award. Alex, what's your elevator pitch for why Tibs should take home the honor? I mean, just look at how... Okay, I, the one the one guy that I will say is a, a big
1: threat to him as far as the award, I think it should be him or Monty Williams, would be my uh, my top two on the ballot. And I guess my my rationale for picking Tibbs over Williams would be just look at how much he did with what he was projected to do. You know what I mean? Look at look at how he helped transform Julius Randle as a player who many Knicks fans were ready to just throw out, you know, throw out for two second round picks or something in the offseason, myself included. You know, there are all kinds of trade ideas that look crazy now by comparison uh, involving Julius Randle. Look at what he did with RJ Barrett, you know, in his second season with helping him improve as a shooter, as a defender, as, as every part of his game. Uh, even though he showed a lot of promise in his rookie year. Like, look at what he got out of Reggie Bullock, who, you know, had kind of struggled last year coming back from back surgery, but also is now having one of the best seasons of his career. Um, look at the, the, how they were able to absorb certain injuries. You know, like, it just speaks to the system and how good he was as a coach. The fact that, like, Mitchell Robinson was their one key injury this year, and yet you were just able to slot in Nerlens Noel and Taj Gibson as, like, this two-headed monster at center and not really skip a beat on defense, despite losing one of the best defensive centers in the league. I just think, you know, there there were way less expectations for the Knicks versus the Suns this year where the Suns, you know, it had, had that 8 and 0 bubble performance. Um everybody was sort of expecting, okay, you added Chris Paul, obviously that's a a huge floor raiser for your team and a big ceiling raiser as well. Uh you know, so I don't think anybody expected the Suns not to at least make the playoffs. There's probably a, you know, a 4 to 6 seed if I if if I would, Guess, And, you know, the fact that they wound up competing for the one seed towards the end of the season definitely speaks to how well of a job uh, Williams did there. But I just think Tibbs, given what he was handed, which was a slightly turned over roster from a team that won as few games as it did last year um, and managed to turn it in, you know, churn out a probably all NBA player in Julius Randle, first time all star, you know, seems to have RJ Barrett on the track to becoming an all star someday had a top five defense for like the entire season um, with a, a very similar cast to what they had last year. I just, I think that he did so much with less. And and that's probably the reason that I will give him a nod as coach of the year over someone like Monty Williams.
0: Tom Thibodeau hit the reset button on the culture in New York. The Knicks are good again, and it's definitely must watch basketball. And you're going to have all that covered for us over at Locked on Knicks. Alex, appreciate you coming on Locked on NBA with me. Of
1: course, anytime. I have been doing the rounds a lot more in the network lately and otherwise. So (laughs) very in-demand team right now, but I'm very happy to be back in a place of relevance again.
0: Coming up, Steph Curry and the Warriors. But first, a quick message from our friends over at Indeed. You're the hiring expert for your company, and what you really need is help making your shortlist of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who helps make your life easier. You need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three post, screen, and interview, all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy with tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your job description immediately. And Indeed skills tests that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. Get started right now with a free $75 spot. Sponsor job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com locked. Again, a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com locked. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Now let's take a trip out to the Bay to talk with the host of the Locked on Warriors podcast, Wes Goldberg. Wes, the Warriors beat the Grizzlies to clinch the eighth seed in the play-in tournament behind a just another stellar performance from Steph Curry, 46 points for this year's scoring champion. The Grizzlies led in this game 97-95 with about 4 minutes, 4.49 left to play. Please do explain what happened next.
2: Well, I'd actually like to rewind uh, two minutes before that time stamp to about 6 minutes and 12 seconds left in the game. Throughout the game... Uh, Dylan Brooks had done an awesome job defending Steph Curry. Steph had 13 points in the first half, so he scored 33 of his 46 in the second half. took him a minute to sort of crack the code against Memphis, and that's because Dylan Brooks was used, just being physical with him, chasing him around the court, just being a pest. And at 6 minutes and 12 seconds left in the fourth quarter, uh, Dylan Brooks had picked up five fouls, and Draymond Green recognized that. And just darts into Dylan Brooks's body and flops in what is probably the best and most important flop of the Warriors' season. uh, Draws the sixth foul on Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks fouls out, and then Steph Curry, a couple minutes after that, to the point that you're uh, uh, to that timestamp that you brought up, hits the first of three straight three pointers. Bang, 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 to, to to essentially seal the win for Golden State. It had been a close game throughout. The Warriors used a uh, third-quarter run to go up by uh, 17 points. The Grizzlies erased that 17-point lead in the fourth quarter, and then Steph did what Steph did without Dylan Brooks draped, draped all over him, thanks to, in part uh, to Draymond Green's savvy play and then, of course, to Steph's own greatness.
0: So the Warriors now 8-2 and two in their last 10 have a date set with the Lakers in the play-in tournament. Wes, if I'm the Lakers... I'm I'm legitimately terrified of Steph Curry in a single-game format. H- how are you feeling about this
2: primetime matchup that we're looking at? I think you're more confident than I am, Jackson, it sounds like. But, uh, look, the the Lakers right now, they're healthy, right? LeBron, Anthony Davis, they're back. Dennis Schroeder's back from an, ex- an extended stay in the health and safety protocol. And uh, this was a team when healthy, we thought, looked like they were rolling to repeat as champions. And they're back, and they're healthy. Um I don't know if LeBron's completely in game shape, but uh, when that team is complete, they're really dangerous. And the Warriors, yeah, they've been playing really well. They're 15-5 and five in their last 20 games. Over that stretch, they have the best net rating in the league, and it's not even close. They're, they have the best net rating by a mile. Uh, they figured out an eight-man rotation that works, right? They, they've smoothed out the rotation. There's less bumps and bruises, less weak spots for for opponents to – exploit with James Wiseman out and with Kelly Oubre injured and stuff like that. Uh, they've just figured out something that works, but still, man, uh, Steph as great as he is. He's a headache. He's not somebody that the Lakers want to see in the first round, but I also don't know that the Warriors have enough depth and size to combat with what it is that the Lakers can do. Cause once the La- when the Lakers ha- got LeBron going and when they move Anthony Davis to the five, You know, that that's able to keep up with the best version of these Warriors, which kinda like they like to go small with Draymond and Juan Descano Anderson in the front court and try to outpace other teams, but the Lakers can hit that gear and they can do it with two of the best five or six players in the NBA.
0: Maybe it's just my the, you know, my Rockets uh, bias in me, but maybe I just got some PTSD from Steph Curry. That's and That's why I'm a little bit higher <laughs> on, on his his, you know, performances in in a single game format. But, you know, looking at the Warriors Lakers this season, Warriors are one and two against the Lakers. I, I mean, you talk about some of the size, you know, that the Lakers have to be and, and the Warriors not necessarily having the right bodies to potentially throw at them. Uh, do you have any other takeaways from the three games that these two teams played against each other this
2: season? None at all. Those those games were so far back, and both teams are so different, right? Like, the Lakers added Andre Drummond. The Warriors, like I said, they figured things out with their rotation that weren't figured out back then. Both of these teams, look, they'll look at the film, but I would be surprised if they spent a whole lot of time on it because there's just not that much to take away. Steph is playing better than he was back then. Draymond is in playing shape in the way that he wasn't in those games. So, yeah, the Warriors came back and got a big win at Chase Center in one of those games. It, it maybe that's some a confidence boost if anything but uh you know the, the warriors are so much different the lakers are very different I, I just don't i i think mostly you take that film you check it out but ultimately you throw it away and you say hey what has made us play well if you're the warriors why have we played so well and how can we do that Against these Lakers, uh, that's more. You're, you're going to be looking forward more than I think you're looking back for any sort of reference in that film because there's just not much to take away.
0: The good news is, even if the Warriors do struggle in this game against the Lakers, they have another opportunity based on how the play-in tournament is structured to walk away uh, as the as the eighth seed uh, in a, in a potential matchup with the winner of the matchup between the Grizzlies and the Spurs. Are you a bit more confident about that potential game, Wes? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I am. Um, I'm not confident in the Spurs' ability to beat Memphis. I mean, the Grizzlies, they gave a pretty good punch, and I've been impressed with them all season long. I think they win that game against Antonio on Wednesday, and then we see a rematch right here at Chase Center again of this game that we just saw Sunday afternoon next Friday. I think we end up seeing the Warriors and the Grizzlies play again. Beating that Grizzlies team twice in a week is not going to be easy, but beating Steph Curry once isn't easy either. So uh, I like the Warriors' chances in that game. Uh, if, if indeed they don't win on Wednesday
0: in this game, as you just referenced, uh, the first of potentially two in the span of a week against the Grizzlies, Steph kind of paid homage to the, uh, the, we believe warriors by, you know, lifting his Jersey up a la Baron Davis during his 46 point performance. Uh, does this team, you know, have an upset or two in them if they make it out of the play in tournament, you know, how seriously should people be taking this warriors team?
2: I think you need to take them seriously out of respect for Draymond Green, Steve Kerr, Kevon Looney, and obviously Steph Curry. Uh, I don't know that there, it, there's a, we believe 2.0 thing happening here, uh, but who's to say that there isn't, right? I mean, Steph, he's going to win you a game in a playoff series, right? Um, but uh, if it's Utah in that first round matchup, if, if the Warriors make it out or if they play Phoenix, depending on what seed they get, it'll be one of the, if the Warriors advance in, out of this playing turn, it'll be one of those two teams Um, look, I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's impossible for the Warriors to pull off the upset. I think it's a little improbable, but that's why they play the game, right? That's, that's what it's all about. And once you have Steph and Draymond in in a playoff setting, anything can happen because those guys have been there before they're hungry because they haven't been there for a year and, and they know what it takes to win games in those moments. And if you just, if you ramp up Steph Curry's minutes to 40 a night, if you, if you, you know, ramp up Draymond Green's minutes to 36 to 38 a night. Uh, they're going to be really tough to beat. You know, I don't think any team wants to play them.
0: Of those two teams that you just mentioned, obviously the Jazz, the Suns walking away as the top two seeds uh, in the West this season. Is there a preferred matchup for the Warriors? Is there one that you look at and you think, you know what, there's a better shot of an upset against this team
2: versus this team? I don't know if I have a preference, but I I wonder if the Warriors prefer to play Chris Paul again. Not to bring up Rockets stuff again, but... They've had Chris Paul's number, whether Chris Paul played for the Clippers or the Rockets in the playoffs. I think there's a certain amount of confidence going into those kinds of games. And, I, you know, Phoenix is so prolific in the mid-range area. But if the the Warriors are very prolific from three-point range. And that math may favor them. Now, I'm not saying they should be favorites in that series, but I think the route is easier. If they're going to beat one of Utah or Phoenix, I think the road to beating one of those teams is easier in Phoenix than it would be in Utah because the Jazz just have so much depth. Rudy Gobert is probably the defensive player of the year. It's, he, he makes things so much easier for everybody, for them on defense. And uh, the fir- the last time that the Jazz and the Warriors played, uh, the Warriors won, but the Jazz were without Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell. Presumably, they'll have those guys back by the first round of the playoffs. And if that's the case, obviously, you like the Jazz chances. But the Warriors basically beat Phoenix last week with Phoenix at full strength. They were without Cam Johnson, but I don't know that he's swinging a series. So uh, I think if you're the Warriors, you probably like your chances against Phoenix a little bit more. How far can
0: Steph Curry take this version of the Golden State Warriors? Wes, you'll have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Warriors. Wes, thanks for joining me on uh, Locked on NBA.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Coming up, what's going on in Clipperland? land? But first, a message from our friends over at betonline.ag. Look, BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing. We've got NBA playoffs right here, right now. They're about to start, and you can track all of that action over at BetOnline. So before the next pitch, before the NBA playoffs actually get underway... Head over to Bet Online, check them out. They've got all the action for MLB, NBA. They've also got UFC, NHL. You name it, they probably have it over at Bet Online. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Head over to their website and use promo code LOCKEDON, That's L O C K E D O N for a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Again, that's promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Another message from our friends over at Built Bar. Look, Built Bar is the number one protein bar on the market. The reason for that? They're not, they're they're really not protein bars. They're kind of like a candy bar that's jam-packed with protein because each one of these bars, and I mean the flavors of these bars, you got mint chocolate brownie, peanut butter brownie, cherry, coconut almond, my personal favorite, the coconut brownie chunk. You just can't go wrong with any of these flavors, but every single bar that they make is coated with delicious chocolate. I mean, it's, again, they're basically candy bars that are jam-packed with protein. They're all low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, amazing. If you're on a keto diet, so go check them out at BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your very first order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Sticking to the West Coast, let's go now to one of the hosts of the Locked on Clippers podcast, Charles Mockler. Charles The Clippers managed to out tank the Oklahoma city thunder and the Houston Rockets in their last couple games of the season, locking them into a rematch with the Dallas Mavericks. Was this intentional or did the resting of guys just so happen to kind of line things up this way? I'm going to be
3: honest. I kind of hope it wasn't intentional because I think if you've watched the Clippers or the Blazers and if they've watched them play each other, the Clippers match up a lot better against the Blazers than they do the Mavericks. Um, I think the Rockets game was maybe to put pressure on the Nuggets to kind of choose their destiny with all of this. But tonight was definitely a we don't want to win this game night. I mean, Daniel Oturu, uh, which if you don't know him, that makes total sense. He had 21 field goal attempts. He made five of them. He got blocked seven or eight times. They were going to him in the ISO late. Like this game tonight specifically had to have been a tank job.
0: Where do you sit, Charles, on the on the rest versus rust argument? And is there a continuity concern heading into the playoffs that maybe the Clippers should have used these last couple of games to to maybe tweak some things going in going into the, the playoffs this season?
3: That's a great question. A lot of people on Clippers Twitter were kind of wondering, like, look, we know that this game maybe wasn't a must win or that they were really going to try it, but why not run out some more you know, designed things and just having the young guys go out there and kind of chuck it up? It was good to see Serge and Pat Beverly get some run in these last two games. I mean, they needed it. They'd missed almost half the entire season. So that was necessary, but I I gotta be honest. I wish I would have liked a little more run from kind of the top eight guys in that rockets game, this last thunder game, you know, I I wasn't too worried about the rest, but I mean, continuity hasn't been with the Clippers in the last five seasons. (laughs) And this one was no different. So we're going to see how it plays out, but, uh, I don't know. I mean I, I guess I wish there would have been a little more uh a little more time for the top guy.
0: Despite the lack of continuity, the Clippers still walk away from this season as the third-ranked offense in the NBA, the seventh-ranked defense. And look, when you're ranked top ten in offense and defense, that usually bodes well for teams moving forward into their, you know, playoff aspirations, championship aspirations, all that. But recently, Charles, Kawhi Leonard said that he's kind of working through a bit of a left-hand issue. Is that something to be concerned about moving forward? And and are there any other health concerns kind of rolling into the postseason with this Clippers squad?
3: I mean, honestly, I think Clippers fans have tried not even to think about that hand issue with Kawhi because we just don't have any mental room for more injury stuff. Um, But I think it is something to look at. Anytime Kawhi is taking a knock or something like that, you automatically get worried. He had a weird mitt on it during uh, one of the more recent games that he played in that kind of caught everyone off guard. And the Clippers, you know, very recently, these last two seasons are very coy with their injury report. So we're we're probably not even going to even hear a lot about this at all. Um, but, you know, the biggest injury concerns are, I think people are kind of forgetting that PG has the toe issue, but he's been looking pretty, you know, springy off of that. Kawhi looks pretty good other than the whole hand thing. It just comes down to Serge and Bev, right? Like if, if Serge Ibaka is healthy, the Clippers center rotation is borderline elite with Zubots and Serge Ibaka as the one, two. But then if you have to go, if you lose a surge and you have to go back to Boogie being the two, the second center, and then Patrick Patterson in the third, things get a little dicey. So. It's really just kind of, you know, all injury eyes are on Surge.
0: What's the takeaway from last year's series against the Mavericks that going in this time around, you know the Clippers are going to have to focus on on this time?
3: Well, we have this year a coach who probably won't let Reggie Jackson get put into an ISO on Luca with, you know, less than two seconds left. So hopefully (laughs) that works out. Um but I think I think the big difference is, is this this team just looks different this year. Um, they've generated more wide-open threes than I think any team in history. They shot the second or third best from deep ever um, as a team. And, you know, guys know their roles. There was an issue last year with, you know, they didn't really know what was going to happen in specific situations. It was kind of a just wait-and-see type effort from uh, Doc Rivers, who was crushing it this year, obviously. But I don't know. Ty Lue hasn't planned better this year. There's much more kind of ironed-out rotations. This team feels deeper in a way that those deep pieces are actually going to be used. And we don't have, you know, Lou Williams and Trez were great in the regular season. But, you know, we don't we don't have to rely on those bench guys as much in this postseason. And you shouldn't in the postseason. Right. Because you should play your, you know, your starters for most of it. So, I mean, the Clippers are going to go as far as uh, as PG and Kawhi take them. But I lose doing a hell of a job of, of getting us in position.
0: I was going to say, is there is there potentially a bit of a referendum to be had there regarding Doc Rivers and, and his utilization of, you know, Kawhi PG last season and some of their playoff struggles? Should that be a, a topic that's revisited, depending on how they do this season with Ty Lue at the helm?
3: Oh, absolutely. Um, even if it shouldn't be revisited, it will be revisited because of that one Paul George quote. off that uh all the smoke podcast. Um so I, it's looked better. You know, we've seen you know out of the pick and roll, they've been using guards as screeners on pick and rolls more for PG and Kawhi, which has really worked out. Um, the the biggest issue is going to be how we're reacting to matchups that aren't working because Doc Rivers would not react to those matchups. He would continue to drive the car directly into the brick wall, expecting the brick wall to just move, and when it wouldn't, he would just kind of you know keep doing that. So Tyloo is going to make some adjustments. Tyloo also has you know, the added mystery of kind of a guy who keeps playoff things close to his chest. He started different lineups in one of those Cavs run like every single game in those first couple rounds. So I think the adjustments are going to be what people are most excited to see because we know we will actually see adjustments this season.
0: Charles, is this the year where playoff P Paul George exercises his demons?
3: Yes, I have to definitively say yes. As he came to the Clippers, we inherited all of the Paul George hate, even some of the Paul George hate. Um, some of the podcast hosts that you may be speaking to talked about a little bit. <laughs> um, but this this will be the year. He's had a fantastic season this year. He helped carry the Clippers when uh, Kawhi was out. We had no business winning some of those games. And, look, he just seems like he's in a better place. There's no bubble. Um, I'm hoping he shuts his social media off, but who knows if that's going to happen. Um A lot of their good performances got wasted last year, too, by the Clippers not really able to close things out. So I think he's hungry. I don't know if he'll get the 96 rating on NBA 2K or whatever he wanted, but I think he should be close.
0: Clippers-Mavericks rematch, and Charles is going to have that covered for you all over at Locked on Clippers. Charles, really appreciate you taking the time to uh, jump on Locked on NBA with me.
3: Yeah, thanks a ton, Jackson.
0: That's going to do it for another episode of Locked on NBA. Don't forget to follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on the brand new Odyssey app. Drop some stars, leave a review, share the show with your friends and family if you enjoy it, and you can follow me on Twitter at JTGatlin. But for today's show, that is it. Thanks so much for listening. We look forward to having you back right here at Locked on NBA. Local experts, the biggest story.